A countdown. Everything. Yeah, we got a countdown. Everything. Wow, so professional. And we're live. And Chris and I are back at our. We are back. <laughs> Salute. We haven't been together in a long we have time. To do recording. The little air cheers here. Cheers. There we go. Cheers. cheers. And uh, we are joined by Ben Stark, who, the Hebrew hammer. That's I. I it's that more is you. <laughs> Salute. There we go. Cheers. And, and, cheers. <laughs> and I guess I'll just start with that because Chris is the one <laughs> that knew the most. Because I vouched for him. No, actually, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll actually tell the story. So it, from, from my perspective, so uh, Ben reached out and I was like, okay, I feel like I've known, I've heard this guy's name before, but I can't place it. And I saw that you were friends with um, Carlos Diaz, who yeah. I know, and he lives here in Orlando. So I asked Carlos, I was like, Carlos, I feel like I should know this guy. Like, who is this guy? And he, you know, gave me a quick backstory on you and stuff. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then when I brought your name up with Chris, that's when Chris's eyes lit up. Yeah, I mean, like and, figuratively, I, yeah. Yeah, well, I was and, driving and, at the time, and that's yeah. when you were talking with the um, AFC. It was the AFC, yeah. Like I, I kind of mentioned earlier when we were introducing ourselves. Um, I was still Grace Baja at the time, and I was, you know, like flying the the red flag, right? And um, at the time, Mikey Gomez and. A couple other Luigi guys Caravanti, were fighting. Ben Saunders. Was it Marcio Simas? Ben, in Orlando? It was Marcio Simas. Yeah. So I, you know, I was there and cheering them on. I think Paul might have fought under them at that time. I'm not yeah. sure. I, yeah, I, think, um, I think he was, he might have still been Marcio Simas when he beat Masvidal. He, I, he definitely was. Yeah. Um, but so I, uh, I was there for a couple of your fights early on, you know, like hey. cheering against you. But, um, I was like, this AFC, they're just, it's a, it's their farm league for those ATT guys. Now here I am in ATT black belt. Um, everyone, but, everyone, so, like, like, yeah, I definitely knew you. Like, it was impossible to get fights outside of that show as an ATT guy because people just go, he's fucking ATT. No, like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, so anyway, Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. We Thank you appreciate very much. you joining us. Appreciate it. And I'll just start out with that, just going back into into that time period. Like what I mean, based on my research on the internets, uh, you you aren't originally from Florida. You're actually originally from Connecticut. Is that right? That is true. So what uh, what was it like growing up in Connecticut? When did you get exposed to mixed martial arts and how did that whole journey that led you to now end up in Coconut Creek of all places? Yeah. And then ultimately Palm Beach Gardens, where you are now. So. Uh, my first exposure was really like the preview channel in like 1992, 1993, when you started seeing uh, the preview clips of Pancraze, you know, the, the old oh, school really? Japanese slap fighting. Mm-hmm. And I remember, which is awesome. I, so which I was raised, I was raised as like Hasidim. Like I had Payas, I went to private school, like the whole shebang. And were you really? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Like modest Yahoo style? Yeah, yeah. Very. I went, I went really? to a school in Connecticut called New Haven Hebrew Day. It was like this hyper religious, like school out by Yale. It was wild. Not fun. I, I didn't like it very much. But were you like into martial arts like at the time? No, I no. Mean, so like, it wasn't allowed. It wasn't allowed. I was to be a dentist, a lawyer, a doctor. I had no use for violence. We are a, an educated people. It was it was very stereotypical. Um, <laughs> that being said, I was a real rough kid. Like I'm the dive off the roof kid. I'm the let's throw mud at each other until someone gets mad and then beat the shit out of each other kid. You know, <laughs> I was I was just that kid. You know, um, 
But I remember seeing Pancraze on the preview channel, and then I saw, and I was like, I didn't know if it was pro wrestling or not, but it looked cool, right? But I knew it was in Japan, and like, that's cool, but that'll never happen. It's in Japan. And then I saw the previews for UFC 1, and I don't know what came over me. I remember I grabbed my dad, and I go, I'm going to do this. And he goes, no, you're not. <laughs> it's like, you're just not. But my and you father were how old was, at the time? say again? You were how old at the time? Like 13, 12. Uh, I got it. So I was 12 when I left Connecticut. So I'd probably seen it around 12, but started talking about it around 13 when I was in Florida. You know, but my dad, my dad was like a state level wrestler and a state level judoka in Connecticut. So I was surprised when he told me no, but as stereotypes go in a Jewish household, mom's the boss and mom wants a dentist. (laughs) So it didn't happen. So but, uh, what ended up, but what was the impetus for bringing you down to Florida from Connecticut? Um, my grandparents moved down and they were getting a little older. My mom wanted to be close to them. Uh, we owned, my family owned a handful of businesses up north, you know, butcher shop, catering company, daycare, stuff like that. And I get like, again, I was young. I'm guessing the market was starting to turn and it looked like greener pastures in Florida. Besides that's where grandpa and grandma were. So we just came down. Cool. And, and that, so after you saw that and you like, did you immediately, I mean, your, your dad is a judoka and a wrestler, you said. So like, um, I mean, he didn't try to get you into like peewee wrestling or even like kids. Zero support. Zero support. Really? Yeah. Cause my mom was against it, you know? And mom as a martial art, not a fighting thing as a a martial art, a discipline. Really? But realistically, like, I'm glad I didn't start so young because I really wasn't the most disciplined kid in terms of like having someone get in my face and, and like, you're going to do this kind of stuff. Like I, I, my mom actually signed me up for karate classes at one point and I swear she searched out the most militant instructor possible <laughs> just to instill me hating it. Cause when she sent me this guy, like, I don't know anything. It's my first day. And he's like, like, in my face, like the dude from Full Metal Jacket, like yelling at me. He was like a Marine drill instructor b- before he retired. And I'm like, this sucks. And I was like, I told you you'd quit. I'm like, no, that guy's insane. I still want to do it. Do you remember what kind of karate guy. it was? Say again? Do you remember like what style of karate it was? Or what, no, uh, not a clue. No. I just remember I had a horse stance. I was all wide. Hush, hush, kind of bullshit. <laughs> but... And this is in Connecticut or in Florida? That's, this is like my first year in Florida. Nice. So and where did you relocate initially? Are, did you reloc- relocate to where you guys are now or were you no, in another no. city? We, re- we relocated to Sunrise. We were right across the street from the Sawgrass Mall. Oh, were you really? Yeah. Nice. Okay. My, my best friend actually was uh, is from that area. So like, Sweet. I'm very familiar with it. I'm, I'm, it was great for a teenager, man. It was like a 20-minute walk and I'm at the mall. So that was that was great. I wouldn't be able to pull that shit off. Somewhere no, you're else, really you know? dating yourself, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> awesome to go to the mall as a teenager. <laughs> the uh, we've anything, lost every millennial at this point. Dude, anything to get out of the house. Anything. I remember. The, so it was nuts. So at at what point then your your mom's resist your dad has martial arts experience, combat yeah. sports experience. Your mother is vehemently against it. You're going to be the lawyer. You're going to be the dentist. You're going to be the money earner, the breadwinner. At what point what was it? Did you convince her? Were you just an adult? Like, when did you get into it? And what was that 
motivator that got you into it? So I got to high school. I went to Dillard High. Dillard High is a NFL hotbed. Like the the volume of football players that go to the NFL is super high out of Dillard. It's a prime football school in South Florida. They also have a good wrestling team because the football coach is the wrestling coach, right? Nice. So nonetheless, I get there and I'm I want to fight, but there's no jujitsu. It's 1993 and I'm 14 or 13 years old, you know. So I'm like wrestling. It's the next best thing. So I joined the wrestling team. I'm told I'm not allowed, but my mother harped on grades. I was a straight A student. I was like, you can't tell me no. I've done everything you've asked. I have perfect grades. So her response was, get a B plus and you're gone. (laughs) So as long as I kept my grades up, I could wrestle. And I was not very good, bro. I was really not good, like at all. At, At grades or wrestling? At wrestling, I was good at school. Okay. <laughs> so I think part of it is because I wanted to do jujitsu. Like the guard intrigued me. So like I would pull guard and guys would like try to double leg me and I'd try to sit to butterfly and like throw them over my head and, really? and all sorts of shit. But realistically, I was also 190 wrestling 215 varsity because our varsity wrestler was still playing football for the first like quarter of the season. So I'm just getting mollywhopped. Like, I went against, like, and, multiple and state where, champions. Yeah, like, how, how do you, you know to... Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking this, like, where were you exposed to jiu-jitsu? Because you said you, you were watching Pancrase. Which is which is wrestling-based, catch wrestling-based, right? When when did UFC you get won. exposed to... Hmm? Okay, so, so you saw Hoist. Yes. Okay. Like, and and when I, you, when I saw, you saw his one with, like, Hoist Island dudes, I was like, I don't know what that guy's doing, but... I want to like, do uh, Jason, Jason DeLucia, like the arm yeah. bar or yeah, yeah. Okay. Mela Tooley and that crazy German guy who was biting hoist. <laughs> and how did you see it? Because a lot of times at the, at, in that era, the, that was a tape trading thing. Like you would go rent it from blockbuster from the local 16,000 movies. Eh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Florida had a thing called the preview channel. They didn't have it in Connecticut, but channel three was the preview channel and it would have trailers that. for, shows and it would it would scroll like the current tv in the next hour and a half but on the top like the tv okay okay it was before you had the channel guide yeah before we had guides that we'd have the guide channel yeah Yeah, you'd have to wait 15 minutes for the channel you missed it was (laughs) terrible but i saw an ad for ufc like one or two on the preview channel and hoist was already in it and you know triangle and dudes and Armbar and Jason DeLuca, and I'm like... So your dad let you get the pay-per-view? No, I saw the preview for it. I begged him for the pay-per-view. He told me no, and then he ordered the pay-per-view and just closed the TV room door. (laughs) Nice. So your dad... I like your dad. I like your dad. dad I can relate. He knew it was too much, because I would would go to my brother and be like, we're doing this! You know? Just because I was a fucking loony kid. Older or younger brother? Older. Older. We, oh, we so you were <laughs> nice. Did yeah. it, was was he? So were you guys like the stereotypical like beating each other up type brothers? Or uh, yes and no. Like it definitely happened. I, I've definitely knocked his block off. I'm sure he's done the same to me. But it, it was more like friendly roughhousing with times of actual fighting than just being purely combative. Nice, nice. So you wrestled and were Not pulling well. guard. Think, so he's think, the original butt scooter. <laughs> I, I, I salute you, sir, because I think, uh, 
I think my 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 freshman record was like one in thirteen. Ah, oh, that's, that's terrible. Dear to my heart, right there, dude. It was bad. <laughs> it. I really. I went back for my second season, and so this is this is how ghetto my school was. Or, or it's not. Really, it was ghetto as fuck. It was a. If you're familiar with Sunrise, there's a place called the Swap Shop. Two blocks down is the high school on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Like, Ooh, let's say no more, right? Like, yes. Like <laughs> my first day of high school, there was a gang war at the buses. What? Yeah, my first day of high school, there's a gang war at the buses. I, I'm a very prompt into. I like to be early, you know. So my class ends, I take a piss, I'm on the bus. I got, I got a long drive home. I'm a magnet student. I have to get bus like way out into the suburbs. So I'm, I'm not missing this bus, dude. I will get whooped. So I get on the bus and I'm just sitting there, you know, headphones, dd, and a fucking chain smashes into the window of the bus, and I look up. And the, bu- the bus driver is so used to it, she closes the door and just goes, put your head down, white boy. You'll be fine. And just <laughs> open the magazine. Just sort of, like, they're not here for me. And just started flipping through her magazine. 20 minutes later, it was over, and we went home. So what is your mom's reaction to this? Yeah, given like, you just told she should me let about- you good into martial arts because she of She was this, like, right? that didn't happen. Stop it. You're, you're, you're exaggerating. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're exaggerating. Yeah. Okay. Like, what do kids do? Kids lie. Kids lie, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're twelve. You can't be tw- trusted. What's wrong with you? So, did you continue with high school wrestling after that first year of going one so and thirteen? I tried. I came back for second season. So, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't like running. Okay. Season ended. We we had a handful of guys in postseason tournaments. I was not one of them, but I'm still going to practice because I'm a good teammate. And we're about five miles from the beach. And the and the the coach go, dude. I got a story about getting shot at running in the neighborhood, but that's beside the point. Um, the coach goes, guys, we're gonna take beach runs, dude. That's a ten mile run. It's, it's, it's nuts. I'm and, and I'm a child, technically, you know. And I just straight up like I was already the slowest runner, so I'm like, I'm not running to the beach. I'm gonna come back and miss the late bus to go home. Like it, I, I'm gonna die. Like what are you talking? It's a half marathon. So I just stopped going. <laughs> I just stopped going. I ain't running to the beach. You're crazy. You know? And I came back for a second season. And, you know, it's it's high school. You got to get a bunch of forms filled out, et cetera, et cetera. And my forms just didn't get processed until the end of the day. So I went to pick them up. I show up to practice. I'm late. Everyone's partnered up. So I have to go with this new assistant coach, some guy I didn't meet the year before. And he is a legitimate heavyweight, like, I was again like 190, 195, and if he was 250, I'd be shocked. He he was definitely bigger. <laughs> Fucking covered covered in like jail tattoos and rough shit. And this is awesome. Chemo. And I come in, he's just like, What are you doing here? And I was like, Oh man, I was just getting my papers done. You know, I just got in. I'm here for practice. And coach goes, You're gonna work with assistant coach, you know, whatever his name was. And I go, sure, sure. I I have no like weirdness about anything. Uh, you're the coach. Let's go. And this guy just goes, why are you late cracker? And I was like, I had to get my form signed. And he's like, get on the mat, bitch. I'm like, okay. And within 10 minutes, he crossed faced my nose, like over here. <laughs> like it, it. And then he's like, I like my face. And he's like calf riding me within this one practice. I was on crutches for four weeks with a torn calf muscle and a broken nose. 
I mean, you signed the waiver, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I signed the waiver. So on the waiver, so. I crutched my way into practice for a couple of weeks. Then I was like, yo, fuck this. And I stopped. <laughs> so did, were you recruited or did you have any interest in, in playing on the football team? Because it's not uncommon to be in that situation where there's, because the seasons are one and the other, like they, they never run at the same time. So a lot of time wrestlers will play football. Yeah, um, and the fact that you had the same coach, was there any interest or, or on either side to play? Not football? really. I, it could be that like I tease the football players like I'm just a natural kind of shit talker like I'm the goofy guy. But again, I wasn't really all that athletic and we're talking about a program that builds like 60 or 70% of like NCAA athletes out of it. Like I'm not on the athletic tier that they're dealing with. You know. Mm-hmm. So I never so you're like, like I got Andy, like trying to get on the football team. Not like I know me cuz also my before my freshman year um my my homeschool was pla- would have been Plantation High School, so I went to a, a summer school strength and conditioning football course just for the strength and conditioning. But obviously, a big part of it was football, like running patterns, cutting angles, running routes, and I was atrocious at catching. <laughs> atrocious! I was so bad, I couldn't catch a cold. I was terrible, but I was a good defenseman. But you know, body body issues. I didn't want to admit that I was a big fat guy. So I just refuse. I'm like, I'm too small for that. I should be a tight end, but I can't catch. So this just isn't my sport. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at what point? So now you, you've you tried wrestling. You've tried wrestling. You tried football. Second season, you know, didn't – you had your experience there. Well. Yeah. You're still in high school at this point. Yeah. Are you doing uh, any sort of athletic activity? Where does – yeah, like what's the, the jiu-jitsu end of this, right? Well, we'll like, get there. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. what, are, are you doing so, any athletic activity? Uh, the last two years of high school, I started working at rave clubs. Uh, what? At rave clubs. Okay, rave what is a club? rave club? A rave club? Like like, back I, in the I, don't, I don't understand what a rave club is. So, really, it was an underground rave club. So, it was a... Uh, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 40 in three I'm, weeks. So, I'm, I'm pretty I'm old. I'm 40 already, last okay. month. Okay. So. so, we used to have... Uh, places that would have high-speed LAN networks and high-speed internet connections for high-end online gaming. So okay, okay. there was this one this place, is, and they had... getting weird. A, it, was, it was in Davie, Florida. It was called Zyberzenter. And I originally went there because I was a video game nerd. But the owners... So you guys had Quake 1 running in a, as, as a LAN well, party like Quake 1 or Duke Nukem? Like, let's, let's talk sure. generations here. Starcraft like, 1... Duke Nukem, Quake, when Doom finally had like like a LAN option, we were in there. You know, oh my God. it was it was it was awesome. It was very cool. You know, we're old. we're so old. <laughs> but the the owner uh, discovered the Atkins diet. That should also tell you how old we are. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> By the way, for you millennials, that's the ketogenic diet. <laughs> yes, he lost a bunch of weight, keto. and and now he's like. You know, like I'm trying to fuck. I'm not a big fat guy anymore. So he so I'm going to throw raves. Out, he goes out. He discovers ecstasy and he starts throwing <laughs> raves in his in his like internet cafe. In but the are, are we cafe. allowed to talk about this right now? Like, is this guy still around? Or do <laughs> I don't even know like... his name, but fuck that. Okay, guy. all right, fair enough. Um, so, so this is your four in the '90s. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the original EDC. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, bro. 
I don't know how this place, it was like 5,000 square feet. It was huge. <laughs> it was so big. The main room is where the party was, right? And then you had a storage closet on this side and a back, like a no smoking, like this is where you got glow sticks and Vicks in your eyes and massage tables and like- Did you say Vicks in your eyes? I'm sure it was there. Vicks, the, the oh. vapor rub. Oh, oh okay. okay. Sorry. And then behind <laughs> okay. that, this man was building a hot tub room for the staff only, like in the back with a private bathroom. And this guy starts running like drugs, I guess. <laughs> so he was too scared to deal with the cops. So he hired me to be his doorman because I'm 16. As I'm a high schooler. I mean, like I'm, you have wrestling I, experience. So I'm 16. I'm six foot one. I'm 200 pounds. You know, I carry myself like an adult. I've been employed. And so this guy is like, I just want, because he's getting really high and he can't deal with the cops. So I'm just at the front. ID. Okay. ID. Now, note when I was 16, I had hair down to here. I had a full mustache. I looked like I was 25. You know? So wow. it, okay. it worked now, out. Was he, was, okay. So what I'm trying to understand is, was he trying to run this as a legitimate enterprise where he's collecting cover and trying to make money as a business, whether it's under the table or not? Or was it just like, were you 1099 uh, like or yeah? Like, yeah was were it you W2 like, or 1099 well, through this? <laughs> I don't know about that. But my, my what was his goal? One, he was without a doubt, he was selling drugs. Without a doubt. Okay. It, it, it wouldn't have made sense for him to do so <laughs> awesome. without, right? But I, my assumption is he just wasn't making a ton of money as an internet cafe. So he needed to make some fucking money. So he threw some parties, he charged 10 bucks a head, and there's Literally nothing in Davy. We're talking 25 years before the Hard Rock, you know. So, was there gambling there? No, 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 no. The Indians didn't even have really have their land yet. Oh, okay. oh, really? The Coconut Creek Casino wasn't there. No, no. Like we're talking. The, the we're talking Hollywood. Nothing? We're talking like oh, wow. you had you had one small building called the Seminole Classic, and then you had like four like Indian cigarette shops on the corners, and that was it. That's so really like kind of the- cornered the market for raves. I mean, yeah. Okay, so this, what this was pioneer? So give me so so give us an example. Like, how long this was it? Like the summer of of ninety four. Oh, no. just and did you have to use <laughs> we, the we, wrestling? Was, I was I was twenty one years old. I was in college. No, yeah, yeah. I started at twenty one or twenty. Twenty. I started at twenty. I was honest to God. I was just looking around and I stumbled on a video of Mark Coleman. A highlight video from SureDog.com of Mark Coleman. Oh, my God. Done to Allison Chains, by yes. the way. Yes. Oh, Bro, my God. Salute. <laughs> they're so classic. They're so good. They're, they were they're, all dude, amazing. I have this. Kazushi Sakuraba's got me back into martial arts. Yeah, dude. The one done to YouTube's Beautiful classic. Day. Oh, my God. So classic. <laughs> those are so amazing, right? Bro, if you could find those SureDog videos... Oh man, I, I, I'll, I'll burn you a copy, dude. You send oh, me your email. I, I, I've got them the saved Vandalist on the CD. Silva video... The Pele dude, video. Oh my god, oh god this so is awesome. Good. They were so good. I remember seeing the, the Pele. Tour one? Oh my god. Oh, dude, I saw Pele. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Dude, oh, yeah, oh, salute, salute. <laughs> this is awesome. This, this, oh my god, we're, we're so old manning it right now. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I remember the Sure Dog days. Do you really? The Sure Dog videos? When they had highlight videos, no, the Sure Dog videos on download. On SureDog.com. That was before my like. I Dude, I was like, yeah, bro. This is like dial-up so, days. I, <laughs> well, he I had access Sherdog. to the internet. Oh, this is true. So I see SureDog. I go to SureDog.com. 
I joined the forums and I fucking live on the forums. Wait, who are you on the forums? Uh, I was Vulgar the Clown, I think. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you really? Oh, my yeah. God. I, I got into making highlight videos. I made a bunch of them. <laughs> oh my god this i made videos for brad pickett i made this three is the greatest my life noah <laughs> that, that we're putting a face to oh the my name god. This, is, the, this is oh my god i, I know this man <laughs> i mean it's it amazing like how small the community was back were you on then. the subfighter forums ever was that it? i was on mma.tv i was on the underground okay. so that's the underground the original yeah. underground right i was on the underground i was on Sure, dog. Yeah. Then I got onto offtopic.com. Whoa. What's that? Which is where I met Ryan Loco and then, like, the, the Triumph United guys. Oh, really? It was all through that. And then um, I, I started writing for ironlife.com. No way. Yeah. You were on Iron Life? Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I had a two month trip. I'm to meeting me. my, like, nerd celebrity here <laughs> yeah i was on iron life i i wrote a bunch of articles around i could never get published on the big ones i mean i'm not a you know classically trained writer i'm i'm a good I'm talker a, and i just you're a journalist come on man you know uh that i think those were the forums i was on offtopic.com probably for the longest period of time but sure dog was it dude bro gary goodridge and his wife helped me read my first ever fight contract. What? Yeah. When was it? Okay. How the hell did you meet Gary Goodrich and his wife? He was on the forum. Mr. Elbow. Sure I met. Really? I met, yeah. I met Gary Goodrich through the forums. I met Remco Pardue through the Sure Dog forum. What? Yeah. Uh, Don Fry was on there for a little while. I talked to him a couple times. This is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, it's. Yeah, that was it. So when Where I the hell did you get an ATT from? Uh, hang on. Well, we'll, okay. we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get there. there. We're, we're getting there. there. So, we'll get there. So okay. So you're you're in college. You're you're getting exposed to Sure Dog. That's opening this whole world to you. At what point do you start training uh, some form of mixed martial arts? Whether it's jujitsu, so, whether it's mixed martial arts, or even pursuing time. like what were you studying in college? Um, my goal originally was to do uh, psychology for violent criminals. Hmm. Um, but FAU at the time, at least, had a research-based program for psychology, not a practice-based program. So I just went to my minor, which was criminal justice, finished that out, and had a bunch of electives left. And I realized I already did eight sociology classes for fun. So yeah. I just got a sociology degree, too. So yeah, and what but, did your mom think at this point? Yeah, we gotta come back. Like, to the, yeah, we gotta come back to the Jewish mother. I was already a professional by the time I graduated. Were you really? Yeah, a professional fighter. Yeah. Wait, wait. Hang so on. then, okay, yeah, yeah. So where, I, where does so, MMA oh, enter? So we're getting there. We're getting there. Hold training. on, hold on. So it all starts with Mark Coleman. I discover Sure Dog, and I just start looking for because the internet's brand new. Really, this is two thousand one, two thousand. You mm -hmm. know. It's just starting to like really kind of come together. And I find out that the Boca Police Athletic League boxing gym is two blocks from my dorm. And the, the college has a judo club. So I go, boom. We go, I go right to the judo club. I go, I don't own a gi. I don't particularly care to wear one. 
But if you guys are down to grapple without a gi, teach me some shit, beat my ass. I'm here to work, right? Wait, and so they just let like people into the police athletic? Club? No, no, this is the judo club. This is the judo club. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, so like that's pretty. But yes, the Police Athletic League is a youth outreach program, typically for underprivileged youth. So I went there and they're like, you're an adult, you're 18, you know, you're going to, you can work out here, but you're not a priority. If a coach decides to give you time, cool. Don't ask for time. We're here for the children. But if you want to hit the bag and jump some rope and use the speed bag, that's fine. That was my deal with the Police Athletic League. Like once a month, a guy would be like, yo, turn your hip over on your right hand. Throw your left hook like with your hips. That that was literally it. They just let me work out there, like which was cool. Learning by osmosis at that point, right? Like I was just watching you guys and trying to imitate them. You know, cool. one of the coaches is like, "Don't bother working your left hook. You're never going to be good at it. Just focus <laughs> on other things." So I am an asshole, and that's the only thing I worked on. And I have an amazing left hook. So yeah, kind of thing. Take but, that cop guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I was at the judo club. And one of the black belts would always grapple with me, and he beat my ass, and that was cool. But one time he broke my arm, and that sucked. (laughs) I remember going to class. Are you in a gi? No. He he sat Kesagatami. He put my elbow on his thigh, and he stepped on my wrist. Wham! And just fucking broke my arm. So what is – given your knowledge now of jujitsu – what was the level of jujitsu in that judo club when you were training with them? Or Niwaza, rather. Yeah. There, I, so uh, there was like three black belts. And if we're talking like jujitsu, I'd say they were strong blue belts in Niwaza. Yeah. So this, this is how I found Top Team. One day, a kid came in in a gi with a blue belt, and he's doing the judo group. And I'm, I'm trying to talk to him because I know there's no blue belt in judo. You know what I mean? Is there not? I don't think there is. At I least know, not I'm one not where you're doing either. flying triangles. Let's say that. <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm trying to grab him because one, he's Brazilian. It's it's obvious. You know, and at one point he flying triangled one of the judo black belts. And nice. I just at that point I just grabbed him like, yo, where do you train jujitsu at? And he goes, How do you know I train jujitsu? And I was like, You're wearing a blue belt, you're not wearing a juju a judo gi. And you just did a flying triangle. And he goes, how do you know what a triangle is? And I was like, dude, I've been looking for jujitsu for like a year. And he goes, okay, here's my phone number. Call me tomorrow. I'll pick you up. And I called him. I met him at his place. And he drove me down to Atlantic and 441 in Miramar. And I, I ended up at a top team affiliate school. And who is your first instructor there? Uh, his name was Edson Diniz. So there, but, uh, there are blue belts in the judo belt system. That's what I thought. Um, well, what? Uh, yeah, I don't know shit about judo. Um, what do you? So you that was an a top team affiliate school, right? So yeah, who was so running? Edson was one of the fighters for for headquarters. Um, he rented mat space from a judo school uh, that was run by a Chilean Olympian. They had an unbelievable program, but they would go late a lot. So we would end up training at like eight forty five p.m till like oh 10, like all the time, but whatever it was, it was the only jujitsu I could find. Um, I was adamant about fighting. I was adamant about fighting, you know, even, even early on, I'm like, this is my goal. Like, don't talk to me about like pure jujitsu. Talk to me about fighting jujitsu kind of thing. And 
that being said, I was a rabid, I was a rabid student. I got my green belt, which is like that middle ground between white and blue in three months. I got so they my were doing blue- green belts then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, think of it like this. This is how it was explained to me years later by, by Laborio. He's like, in America, most people are used to getting a black belt in Taekwondo within two years. Yet the normal period of time between a white and a blue belt is two years. So people see themselves as not progressing. Even though they're getting stripes, they're not getting belts. So the green belt, which is a teenager's belt, is utilized in the middle as a placekeeper for that white belt before they meet blue. So they can see their progress, understand they're making progress without diverting too far from the traditional belt system. Okay, fair enough. So what was your experience like early on? Was it, okay, let me put it this way. Um, How many ass kickings did you deal (laughs) with and how are the people like with yeah, like the how new many person were, in the gym? Because back then, were in class yeah. at the time. Because that, there that was only like, notorious. There was only like six of us, to be honest. May, if mm-hmm. that. Like a good day with six guys and the coach. And there was run by a black belt, though. Yeah. Nice. That's Not awesome. a top team black belt. He was from a different team in Brazil, I think called Surf Fight or In Fight or something like that. I don't, I don't know offhand. Um, Edson Diniz was actually the guy that BJ Penn beat for the world championships. Oh, really? As the first American to win the yeah. BJJ? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So he was he was extremely good, like, in jiu-jitsu. Um, but it was definitely real rough and ready. Not a lot of, like, detailed instruction. Like, I need to be – I learn in a step-by-step format. We do this because of this to get that. That's oh, just, so you're a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where this, like <laughs> – this guy's teaching triangles, and he goes, you just push the hand, then you throw the leg. Boom, triangle. Oh, they, and then they tap. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is like, what I'm talking about, right? I had a good triangle. Keep in mind, at this point in time, I'm 320 pounds. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah. Here, You go from 190 in high school to yeah, 320 pounds at that height? So when I started jiu-jitsu, I was like 6'1", 320, but I could do a full split. Because I was in gymnastics my entire childhood. It was weird. And what weight did you fight at when you fought professionally? Uh, My first ever competition, I was 275. What? Uh, My next comp, that was hilarious. Because the guy I fought, well, so it was supposed to be a fight. And I'm very glad it wasn't. We showed up, MMA was not legal in Florida yet. That's how old I am. Um. So the promoter goes, look, the state's here. They said, if I have an MMA fight, they're going to shut me down and whoever fights goes to jail. So do you guys want to box or grapple? And I'm like, grapple. And the other guy was like, cool. What I don't know is that this other guy, one, outweighs me by 50 pounds. Two, he's been training for like eight years. Three, he was a collegiate wrestler. And four, my corner man was his coach. (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was a total fuck job. He knocked me out with a German suplex on my head and then woke me up with a crossface. It was wild. Is this like fighting in a club, like no, no, never back down sort of it days? Was, it was like, in the Palm Beach National Guard Armory. And what, what promotion is this? Like, oh, what is, how is this even so happening? Check this out. This is, this is six months before I started jujitsu. Oh my God. 
That's a big boy That's right crazy. there. I'll tell you what. We're, we're seeing a picture for, uh, for those. Yeah. yeah, for those who can't see. Jiu-Jitsu, no, by the way. It's a, it's a, it's a, sol- a solid 320. It's a plump boy right there. Possibly and you're 275 more. there. No, that was like How 320 did, or more. 320, okay. So yeah. would you at this point, you're doing jiu-jitsu only. Is your yeah. instructor, because like, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like an old man too, but like back in the day, like if you took jiu-jitsu, it was because you wanted to fight. Yeah, right? like it wasn't because you want to do the, the art of it or whatever it is. No, we comp- we like, were we were competitors. Like we were there to fuck shit up. Okay, so and you were learning like the idea of jujitsu and like the idea of positioning because yeah. like this is why you do this, this is why you do that, right? Like, so are you at, at any point? Is there is it like the old school days where you're like okay, like we start in the gi, but then like the end of class, we just take our gi tops off and we just fucking roll no gi, like that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, like, pretty uh, much. I want to say when I first started, it was like three nights a week, two gi, one no gi. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, there, there was no differentiation. Jiu-jitsu yeah, yeah. is jiu-jitsu. Are you doing any striking or is it just purely no. jiu-jitsu, no. like fighting jiu-jitsu? So when I get my green belt, I'm told it's going to cost me 50 bucks. And I go, what? I don't give a shit about this belt. Got so him. I'm not particularly in- interested, you know? But he's like, man, get it. I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I, I do. I had 50 bucks. I was broke as fuck, but I, I, I managed to come up with it. So I get my green belt. And around this time, I'm, I'm like, dude, I really want to fight, fight. Like, I, I got to find a place to strike. I, I want to fight. And he goes, I'm going to introduce you to Laborio. And he does. He takes me to... A, a training session. I meet Laborio. He talks to me for a little bit. He rolls with me. And I remember when, when I, when Laborio was done brutalizing me, <laughs> like, again, I don't know who he is. He's just this older gentleman in the room. Like it's, it was like an open mat setting. And he, he goes, Hey, how long have you been training? And I'm like, Oh, like eight months. And Oh no, no, I take that back. I was a, I was a blue belt. Or becoming one. No, no, no. Yeah, I started when I was a green belt. I got my blue belt six months in. But I was doing 15 sessions a week. Because once I met Laborio, he goes, you can come to our sessions. And I started training. And where, what is what is this gym? This was Boca Black Belt Academy. It was American Top Team Headquarters before all of the headquarters is. is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It, so, was, this li- uh, it was this little thousand. And so this is fucking gym. like... Dudes who came straight from BTT. So we're talking the team, if I remember correctly, was Dean Thomas, Hermes Franca, Jeff Munson, Edson Deniz, Wilson Govea, a couple guys whose names I don't remember. Uh, obviously, Conan, Marcelo, Laborio, and Wade Rome. Like, it, it was a murderer's row of, of jujitsu guys. And for yeah. MMA fighters, really, at that point, like ATT has always been like top tier in the scene. Like, so right. at what point did did you get your first uh, amateur fight? So I had that fight that I was talking about, the one that was supposed to be maybe it wasn't before that's I even grappling joined. match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think that's an official. Well, I, mean, I guess it's technically amateur, but it it probably doesn't show up anywhere on any record yeah. book. So uh, I. My first fight was a kickboxing match. It, I'd been training for about three months. Uh, we went up to the Orange Dome in Orlando. Uh, do you remember Edson Berto? 
Yeah. So his dad was hosting the fights. His dad fought in Pride and stuff. Um, and dude, I'll never forget. We're driving up, and I've got Eric Morell and Luis Nazario in the car with me. Our, our coach at the time, Christian Tolek. Uh, and we're driving up, and I remember we're we're on the way to weigh-ins, and I'm just in the car, and I just put my head down, and Lewis like puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, "Aw, did someone realize they're fighting tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah," and he goes, "It'll be fine, don't worry." But nonetheless, and we this get is to, Muay Thai rules. What what rule set? Is, is there any so stand-up this grappling is involved? To be K1 amateur rules: headgear, sixteen-ounce gloves, shin guards. Okay. Lewis, for some reason, has 10 fights, but he's fight number two. I have zero fights, but I'm fight number five, okay? We walk Lewis out in shin guards, headgear, and gloves. We get in the ring, and the referee goes, take all that shit off. <laughs> takes off the headgear, takes off the shin guards, has on 16-ounce gloves, fights, blah, 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 cool. I'm like, dude, I'm not fighting with no fucking headgear, bro. I've never fought before. This is insanity. I'm losing my shit. Uh, like, and Carlos Diaz was my manager, and obviously mm-hmm. amateur, but he was the he ran the desk. He got us fights and stuff. He's like, "Papa, you're gonna be fine." Da 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 da. And I'm like, I remember we walked to the ring. I got all my shit on because I've got zero fights, and they're like, "Take it off." And I realized I got 16 ounce gloves on, and my opponent is wearing like these tiny fucking 10 ounces. Oh, like they knew, God. and. And, like, we fight, and this guy's throwing fucking elbows at me. I'm like, I don't even know how to throw elbows. Like, I'm here for kickboxing. What the fuck is going on? This guy's throwing elbows. He couldn't clinch with a shit, and he couldn't kick. So I just start, like, I would just grab him and just start throwing knees in his stomach. And as soon as he <laughs> broke off, I would just kick his leg and kick his leg and kick his leg. I had no setups. I was just like, you're not fucking elbowing me anymore. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm up, knee him, kick his leg. And I win a decision. I don't fucking know how, but I won a decision. Did you left hook him though? No, no. I don't think I punched. Oh, him. come on! No, no. This no, is supposed to come full circle, man. I, I did hit him with like a hard right hand. There's a picture of me like <laughs> standing over him, and he's going like, "Oh," and it was like it was like here kind of thing. So I must have hit him with something. But yeah, that was my first fight fight. But um, my first MMA fight was December 2004. So I'd been training at American Top Team for like 13 months. No, was it 2003? I don't know. I'm, 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 what I see here is Battle of New Orleans, uh-huh. December uh, 20, 2004. 2004, there you go. So, Oh, my God. That, you fought in New Orleans as your first amateur MMA fight? Battle of New Orleans. I fought Anthony Barbary. Anthony Barbary, a professional Barbary. with 10 fights. Yeah, I mean, like, that. There, it's like... The Wild West in in Louisiana. There's no commission, basically. Bro, there's still no it's, commission. I fought there it, as a are pro. You I fought there as a pro five years later. I showed up with blood work, and the commission goes, you boxing? I go, no, MMA. And they go, don't <laughs> that shit. And shooed me off. Oh, my God. Like, this is... Absolutely. You, you, you see what happens? There's no common law, and it's so commonwealth we, law in a, in a state. Like, so what the where hell? does the where does the nickname the Hebrew Hammer come from? Okay. And when do you start coming out to the ring so with that? My second amateur fight is in the AFC. I believe AFC 12. Um, and a little earlier before that, you had the Comedy Central movie called The Hebrew Hammer. Okay, it was a, a Hasidic Jewish ripoff of Shaft. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember this. It was a hilarious movie. It was super funny. Maybe you got to be Jewish to get it. But for me, it was it was unbelievable. It was a hilarious movie. So I'm telling Carlos, I'm like, dude, you got to watch this movie. Like, you've known me long enough that you're going to get all the jokes. Like, you have to watch this. He's like, what's it called? And I'm like, it's called The Hebrew Hammer. And he goes, oh, that's your name. I'm like, don't you fucking do that that's to you. Me. He's like, that's you. I'm like, it's not me. I'm not religious. I don't identify. And he goes, the more you fight it, the worse it gets. And I was like, fine. So Just I'm supposed in, to, a loop. I was supposed to fight soon after. And I told him, I was like, look, if you announce me as the Hebrew hammer, I'll stay in the back. You're not going to embarrass me kind of thing. So he doesn't announce me until I'm in the ring. I'm not going to leave the ring, you know? Um, so I, I fought, I won. And this dude comes up to me and he's like, are you the Hebrew hammer? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, he goes, my name's, I don't even remember his name. He goes, I run the Boca Diamond Exchange. We'd like to sponsor you. And I was like, this is the best nickname ever. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but I was I was such an antisocial pussy, I never called him. You could have got, oh, man, you could have been in so, part of the. According to what we see here online, you, mm-hmm. had four, you had a fight in New Orleans. You won that. Then you go on a three-fight win streak. Yep. With an absolute fighting championship. These are this is in the year of two thousand six. What happens then? Are do you have an injury at some point? Because okay. there's a period of time where you're off and then you fight again. So not in two thousand six, but later on in two thousand seven. So I got in a car accident, I got run over. Um I was in my Hyundai Elantra and some lady in an SUV drove over my car and uh, ruptured two of my, my discs in my lower back, L4, L5, L5, S1. And I was on the shelf for, for a little while. Um, wow. Lots of rehab, refused surgery. You know, I, I figured surgery would just end my career, whereas if I could rehab everything, I should be good to go. Uh, it took a while, but I, I came back. And that was, uh, that was before I went pro, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't amateur MMA in so, yeah, yeah. Florida. Yeah, amateur MMA was illegal in Florida at the time. Um, we had what was called a professional exhibition bout, meaning mm. no winner, no loser, no record. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That's that's a very interesting way of getting around Just Rack things. them up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's game in the system right there. So got to ask about this before we move on to just how you end up you know, forming this gym in Palm Beach Gardens, what you do there, that whole thing. But you participated in season 11 of The Ultimate Fighter. What was that experience like getting on the show? And what was it like the day of for those qualifying round matches? So getting on the show is actually pretty cool. Um, it, it's a it's a cattle call, like straight up. So I worked downtown Fort Lauderdale. I worked at a bar called Fat Cats. If you're ever in Fort Lauderdale, go to Fat Cats. They just opened up another location in Boca. They're great people, good gym, good bar, good music, good stuff. Um, I wanted to go out to, to L.A. for the tryouts, but uh, it was going to cost like 800 bucks. So I talked to my boss. He talks to one of the bands, and the, the bar staff and the band agreed to kind of forfeit their tips to me so I could make that flight. 
Wow, that's awesome. That's Dude, such that's a cool badass. story. That's like, such a cool story right awesome. there. The the deal was if I get on the show, I have to work every time the show airs. So basically every Monday night for the season. Oh, nice. That's like that's cross pollination, yeah. right? Great. You know, so we go to tryouts and the first thing we do is grappling and they put me in with, so Dana White is very 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 clear. He goes, "I don't want to see any heel hooks." I don't want to see any slams. There will be no takedowns. If someone is in your garden, you pick them up and slam them. I will throw you out and ta- tear up your papers. We're not here to injure people. We're here to find out how skilled we are kind of thing. He was very cool. Um, my, it's my turn. I was actually the first guy to go up and like, hi, my name is Ben Stark. Nice to meet you. We're talking for Tita brothers, Dana White, Sean Shelby, and, and the entire like, brass of spike tv it's like a panel of 12 guys oh, spike TV. were the There's coaches the there like no. were liddell or ortiz there this is like they eight months picking. before the season started gotcha so this is a casting call yeah for the housemate talent status. so i was going Did out any with- other um att guys to go with you yeah so there were four att guys on my season uh rich atonito charlie blanchard norman paresi and myself so we go in and, you know, I, go, I get to, to Dana White and he goes, you're from top team? I go, yeah. And he goes, you're a purple belt. And I go, yeah. And he goes, who, who gave you your belt? And I was like, Laborio. And he goes, <laughs> have fun, buddy. And just shook my hand and I went about my way. So you're supposed to start on the knees. This guy like bulldozes me. I fall back. I catch an arm bar. But again, they're like, if the guy doesn't want to tap, let it go. There's 15 of us. We're watching you. We, we know you got it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I arm bar him. He picks me up. So I just grab his leg. I transition to like a knee bar. I turn to a, like a heel hook sweep. I know I can't heel hook him, but I grab his foot. Then I let it go. I go knee over pass. I go to the other arm. I basically went arm bar sweep, heel hook, arm bar sweep, heel hook, like four times through. And in one of these arm bars, this guy picks me up and slams me on my head. And I'm like, you're not going to do that again. He picked me up again, and I put his hand over my hip, and I broke his arm. And, you know, he goes, ah! And I, and I let go. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong? And it was this, it was a thing. Uh, and we're out. They liked me. Cool. Who was the, who was the, yeah, who was the talent evaluation at this point? You, you said there were execs. There was Dana Wright like and Sean Shelby, We hear this name all the time now. Who, like, who, who do you think was – who are the people that understood – grappling to the point that they could identify talent and not just see a massive of two guys like i would say dana white sean shelby the fertita brothers they they, really there were some other heads those guys are that knowledgeable like the fertitas are that knowledgeable about grappling i think so from what i understand i don't know their backstory but from what i understand they trained jujitsu before they bought the ufc yeah yeah that they 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 appreciate Okay, for, yeah, that's yeah. where they're, I, they're that, educated. That's a gap yeah. in my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I didn't they, know they, from my understanding, like Dana's, like a high level something belt. From my understanding, really, I don't know I if Dana has watch. any grappling experience, but by this point, he's got to have learned just from watching. I mean, he's he had a boxing background, right? <laughs> that's true. You know, yeah. so uh, do you do? You, so, what's the guy? Do you know the guy's name? Are you allowed no, to say what his name was? Not a clue. I do know this: Ryan Loco was covering the event for some site. And we were buddies from online. So I'm like, yo, interview me. And he goes, okay. So he interviewed me. And he's like, what happened? And I run him through it. And I was like, and I broke this guy's fucking arm. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? The guy's sitting right behind me. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. And he goes, you didn't bring my arm, bro. And I was like, I put it over my hip and it went, pat, 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 pat. And he goes, it's not broken. It just popped. And I was like, cool. I, yeah. I feel better about that. No problem. Like, <laughs> um, I make it to the striking round and I swear they were fucking with me because they called my name last. Like, maybe it's because I, I was very talkative. So when when the other guys were grappling, I'm bored. So I got a couple friends with me. We're talking shit. We're making fun. We're shouting jokes. And I'm, I'm sure that's what helped me into the next round. Now, were you were you aware at that time? Because we're already 11, like 10 seasons in. This was going to be the 11th season. Do you have an awareness about uh, the importance of personality, selling yourself, branding, all the stuff that modern day fighters, like it or not, need to possess if they want to have more opportunity to make money at the highest level and be good self-promoters. Were you doing this consciously or do you just think this is who I am and my personality was just showing because like you said, I'm bored. So my thought process was, was very, very honest. I'm in reality. I, at this time I'm 29. I've only got five fights. You know, I'm naturally this charismatic. I'm naturally funny. I'm naturally talkative. My goal, like I knew I wasn't going to win the show. There was four guys from my team on that, two of which I've never won a round against. I'm not going to win this show. Like, that was, that was just the reality of the matter. You know, I'm dealing with guys that have been wrestling since they were five, doing jujitsu since they were 10. I started at 21, and I'm not that athletic, and I'm not that muscular, and I'm not that in shape, but I am a good tactician. I was already a coach. I started coaching as a blue belt. I was coaching in three or four gyms by the time I was on The Ultimate Fighter. You know, I was up and down three counties coaching. So, like, I knew my talent base was going to be an instruction. But I'm also a good commentator. I'm a good analyst. I, at the time, I didn't have history, but I figured that was my path later on. So my goal was just to get on TV long enough for my personality to shine through. Because this was – they were letting you stay in the house if you lost once you got in the house. So my goal was just to get in the house. If I had a great showing, great. But if not, I'd hope – to like get an invite to work regional uh, commentary or something and, and build into that. Cause reality was I was going to be 30 in four months. So you already had a strategy. Like this was, this was not just there. This was, um, this was done purposefully. Yeah. You know? so at, at the, like, at the is... tryouts, that was just me being bored. And it, I just happened to be having a good day where I was funny and my jokes were hitting. Cause sometimes they don't. So, my and you were having fun. Was like in that, that, was that the true you? Yes, yeah, I 100%. guess was the, like it was not st strategy, strategy. No. Yeah. no, I was just hanging yeah. out with my boys. Like that was I was just hanging That's out with awesome, my buddies. Dude. You know and what? Uh, so then, what's the striking round like? What did that so, look like? You got called last. What was so what was striking the, round? Uh, do you remember the Sandman? He got knocked out by Anderson Silva with that. With that, it was his first. Anderson Silva's first fight at two hundred five. Oh, oh my God! The one where he welted up his eye. Um, he knocked dude out in like eight seconds. Yeah, he just caught his leg and he just right, right crossed. Yeah, or big, left straight. Yeah, yeah, right away. Yep. Uh, yeah. That guy was my pad holder. So we had had uh, this Australian guy come in from Thailand and cover while Master Cha had to do some visa work. And I was spending a lot of time with him. And he was a real big fan of shoving off the break to set up kicks on exits and stuff. So Sandman's my pad holder and he's just too fucking close to me. So I'm shoving him around. And he's like getting hype. He's like, yeah, I fucking like it. Let's go. Wow, wow. Ah, and he's going crazy. It's the hardest 15 seconds of pads 
I've ever thrown in my fucking life. And I've never been more tired. I was so exhausted. <laughs> and I'm like, he, he's holding, like we're working and he's like, Sean's here and we fucking dial it up. It was insane. Wait, is he a contestant on the show? No, no. He or was one he's, of the coaches. He's they hired a bunch of local coaches to hold pads for the guys trying. Ah, okay. I, I, I gotcha. Like, so so they, they want to help you look good as well. Like, yeah. They, like if he looks good yeah, on pads, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, okay, cool. so Sean Shelby walks by me and I maybe hit pads for 25 seconds. And he goes, uh, Mr. Stark. Yes. And he goes, you're done. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I suck. Son of a bitch. I was so, oh, I didn't get it. So I, we're, I'm in this hotel ballroom for 13 hours already. Oh and we get the final call post striking and I'm on the list. And, but the, they don't, in, they don't really do anything. They just bring up like eight of us at the same time. And they go, all right, you guys are all here for the 205 pound weight class. And we go, yep. They go, there's not enough talent to make a 205 season. Can you make 185? And I was like, I don't know, but I can try. And the guy just looks me dead in the face. He goes, I don't give a fuck what you try. If I need you at 185 by January 3rd, will you make 185 on January 3rd? And I go, yes, sir, I will. And he goes, cool. We're going to interview you again in two months. So I made it to round three. How many so people like, started at the beginning yeah, like of all what's this? The, what's the cattle call? The cattle call was how many people were there when you were, when you were doing that? I think process? it was like 5,400. Oh my god! And then when you were doing when you were doing the grappling and striking evaluations, how many people were there? Do you think the grappling was five thousand four hundred? Holy shit! Oh my! Okay, god. so I thought it was already like narrowed down at that point. You're saying no, it no, was no. Not the grappling was the first thing we did. So how long did it take to go through? I still think thirteen hours is super fast to get through five. I mean, like how? I mean, like so. This is literally an open mat. Yep. Everybody's just grappling with each other. Jesus. One one oh three God. minute match so at a time. Injuries. So they they had they brought in the eighty fivers, left the two oh fivers in the room, then swapped them, then called the strikers, then oh, swapped wow. them, then called the interviews, then called the two oh fivers and go, can you make one eighty five? Then called the interviews. So is right. this the the personality so the evaluation? No, this was like a, a dabble. It was like six minutes. Hey, what do you do? I work in a hardcore bar downtown. What are your hobbies? I breed snakes and lizards. Um, Get exceptional fact about yourself, like kind of thing. And then they go, will you make 185? Yes. Cool. We're going to interview you again in two months. Like, And the guy was like, you're coming down. I was 226, which was a pretty normal weight for 205, you know? So I'm going from 226 down to 200. So they're going, we're going to bring you out in, in like a six weeks for another interview. I want to see that you've lost five or 10 pounds. Are you a lean 220 something or no, are you a, no, no, no. okay. No, I was, I was soft. What you saw in the AFC was me fighting at 205. Okay. That, that I, I didn't want to say it, but you, yeah. you said it. All right, all right, fair enough. Bro, I was so fat and I lost, I lost 120 pounds in eight months because of like, ins- I, I developed, um, orthorexia a what which it's an elimination disorder basically it's a precursor to anorexia in that where anorexia you don't eat anything orthorexia is when like you kind of get in your own head and you're going that's not healthy enough that's not nutrition dense enough that's not clean enough that's not organic until you whittle down what you eat to not eating anything 
So let me ask you then, because yeah. there's a, a very distinct transition between, I want to say like mid 2000s, mm -hmm. where it's dudes who are like working full time jobs who also are trying to pursue a career in full time fighting, right? Yeah. Are, and you're you're kind of doing that. You're like you're 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 moonlighting as like a bouncer or, or yeah. a, a doorman or whatever the case is, right? Like, at what point does ATT, who's the number one gym, as stated by Dana White, in the in in MMA, does full time fighting become a full time job where you have the support necessary, where you have a dietitian who's there to help you, or are you just sort of like winging it? And you're like Never. reading fucking muscle Never. and fitness to figure this Never. shit out. I did everything myself for the most part. I never really? had anyone cut weight with me. I figure out how to cut weight on my own. Uh, I never had someone sit in a sauna with me. I did. It was, it was me fucking around and finding out. And this is all bro science. Like it's you're kind of trying yeah. Like I did. And this I is even leading up to the the yeah. leading up to the Ultimate Fighter days. So we had a guy named Bonesaw. Uh, Mike Hyman, and he he he's the reason I made weight. He told me about paleo. He goes, "What?" Because I was killing myself. I was eating fifteen hundred calories a day, doing two and three a days, running twenty Whoa. minutes after every practice to lose weight, and Whoa. I wasn't seeing any progress. And he's like, "And he's like, what are you eating?" And I'm like, "This." And he goes, "You have to eat more food." He convinced me to go up to twenty three hundred calories a day. And to like put tons of fat in and this and that. So like I can tell you to the gram what I ate for four months every single day while I was losing weight for the ultimate fighter to the gram. I can tell you what I ate and it was, it was every, it was what Mike Hyman told me. He's like tons of fat. That'll give you tons of calories. You need it. Cook all your meat, saute it in coconut oil, tons of vegetables. If you're hungry, vegetables, if you've ate your meal and you're still hungry, more vegetables, eat them until your fucking head explodes. And, and I followed like a 95, 80, 95, 90% strict paleo diet. You know, I was, I got so clean in eating between him and, and Dustin Dennis. If you want to know about a fucking legend, clean Dustin beans? Dennis. what clean beans. Oh, clean's the best. He was the first guy to see me and go, I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to make you a fucking monster. And I will be forever thankful to him for what he's done for me. He is absolutely insane, and he is the fucking best. He's so you fuck. said, uh, leading back to clean yeah. and you, you're number nine ATT? I, I think he, I was the ninth or member on the pro team. He's got to be pretty he was early, before too. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was way before me. He was a black belt when I met him. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm 20 years in, and he, I think, already had a stripe or two on his belt. God damn. So Bro, they, that man choked out Marcelo Garcia. What? He's an absolute savage. He Bro, he put Marcelo Garcia out, if I remember correctly, or at least tapped him. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And and so he's he's so he's pre number nine, because you're number nine. Yeah, like, yeah. ATT. Yeah, he was in that. At what point though, like so you you have your stint on the ultimate fighter. Mm -hmm. You're a member of ATT at this point. Mm -hmm. You um did the, did the gym come prior to the Ultimate Fighter or after the Ultimate Fighter for you? The gym the gym came in 2015. So I so when the Ultimate Fighter ended, um, I, I had a really hard time for a little while. I, I didn't take it very well. Uh, there were there was like I don't want to sound like an excuse complainer and shit, but like I I went from 202 to 185 
And when I got off the scale and I went to the back and I was like, I need two quarts of Pedialyte, I need two gallons of water, the UFC staff goes, we're out. And I'm like, well, go fucking get it. I'm literally going to die. Go get me some water. You know? Do they not have some sort of nutritionist on you staff? Know, no. At Do you know point, what they offered like, me? Amp energy drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, goes, they are the I business sponsor of the energy. UFC. So like, yeah. I was like, I don't need that's amp. Terrible. I need I need Pedialyte and gallons of water. You need nutrition. Yeah. Right. I thought like, they would have people with IVs. I'm ready so, for like, you. where's like, Margaret IV Goodman? So, like with her, yeah. So it was like they put it like I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about this stuff, to be honest. Our audience isn't big enough, don't we? Yeah, yeah. We, we have like four <laughs> listeners, so. But if so, you don't feel comfortable, I mean, only what you're willing to share. Don't. Yeah, yeah. like. I mean, like this, this the, the statute of limitations is well past yeah, at this point, true. right? For NDAs so, and whatnot. Like, uh, I'm, I'm very, Charlie Blanchard hooked me up. He split some PDLA with me. He gave me a couple bottles of water that he had gotten. Oh, but there wasn't, there wasn't enough, you know. This and is crazy. The, the rules on the Ultimate Fighter were if you open your door of your hotel room, you go home. You'll be on a plane what? within an hour. You are you are in quarantine. It's a secret. We have NDAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this is like long before the live seasons. Um, so apparently, they delivered my water to my room, but didn't tell me. So I didn't get my gallons of water until I was leaving to fight the next day. Oh my god! I probably fought at like one ninety three. Cutting from 202, starting camp at 226. And Dude, still severely dehydrated. Like, what is severely. The, like, Yeah, severely dehydrated. Now, so, not, to, not to take anything away from Jamie Yeager. Jamie Yeager is an incredible athlete. He's very explosive and he's very strong. But I've been hit harder by better guys and not been rocked or shook. You know what I mean? So I didn't get to show what I had available. Or, or my skill set at all. I didn't even get to start. My fight was 35 seconds. It was the embarrassment of a lifetime. But in in retrospect, it it let me separate from my fighting career a bit and really embrace the reality of I'm going – I am a world-class coach. That's where my talents lie, which I already knew, but I just didn't want to give up the hustle. I wanted to be – a fighter. Like I, I understand that like my top tier would have been like a UFC journeyman. I understand that that's, that's real life. Like I get it, you know, to be a a 10 and 10 guy in the UFC that if you beat me, you got a shot at going somewhere like Chris Lytle. There's no, I love Chris Lytle. That guy's a fucking legend, but reality was he wasn't getting close to the title at all that often. And if you beat him, you got to start going into the harder guys. I knew that was my ceiling, you know? So I wasn't, I wasn't super upset about not being a fighter. I just wasn't ready for it yet, but it got me into the position of, Hey, I coach for Roger crawl. I coach a top team for Lauderdale. I, I run a fight team in Miami. I work bars on weekends, but I'm still pursuing the dream, you know, just the second stage as again, I'm 30, 31 at the time. You know, so what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? Do you have a preference? Yeah, I guess. I mean, what do you enjoy coaching the most? MMA, striking or grappling? As I've gotten older, I love jujitsu, specifically in the gi more and more. Ah, uh, yes. I, I severely regret the lack of gi training I did during my career. 
Um, really? Yeah, yeah. What um? I like so. What was a typical like? What percentage were you doing gi versus no gi at that point? When I you, didn't have a gi on for seven out? years. Really? Yeah. I mean, three of those years I was out with injuries. So four years I didn't have a gi on. And I was I got my purple belt in eighteen months. You know, so like I was I was in it to win it. Like I was on track for like a five or six year black belt with the way I was training. Now, granted, a car accident here, car accident there, broken wrist here, like, you know, shit happens. But if if I had been injury free, I very possibly could have been a sub 10 year black belt when, you know, that wasn't the case later on. It took 14. But that's also me teaching in Thailand for three and a half years, teaching in Germany, touring Europe. Teaching what in Thailand specifically? Jiu-Jitsu? I, so I took over a gym called EMAC, the Executive Martial Arts Center, when... So I, okay, I went to Tiger Muay Thai for two months with Taylor Crawl. Nice. I got to teach a seminar while I was there. Uh, it was at, uh, attended by Brian Eversall, Benny Alloway, and, and the entire, you know, Tiger Muay Thai team and the student base. They make highlight videos of everything they do. They're super good about their social media. Before that video was even out, people had my email and were offering me jobs as a coach in Thailand. Um, Pattaya Combat Club, which was an Italian-owned Muay Thai gym in in Pattaya. Uh, Fairtex, I was talking to them for a little bit. I had an acquaintance in Bangkok. And so I just like, hey, do you know these guys? Give me a suggestion. Where do you think I should go? And he introduced me to someone else, this guy named Nitty. Nitty is the man responsible for bringing jiu-jitsu to Thailand. Um, so... I was told he had a fully functioning MMA gym. In reality, he had gi classes three days a week. So in his Muay Thai gym? No, no, it was a jiu-jitsu gym. Okay. Oh, pure. Okay. So Nitty was a national team taekwondo, national taekwondo team member in in uh, Thailand. He did a semester abroad. He met, I believe it was Julio Seneca, fell in love with jiu-jitsu, and then just his family was wealthy and he started flying black belts into his personal gym. Helio Seneca, by the way. Sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so I, I work for him. I'm teaching gi three times a week. I'm like, yo, let's do some no gi stuff. And he goes, great. So I add some no gi. And now I'm teaching five days a week. And then, hey, you know, some of these guys want to do MMA. Like, let's talk to the Muay Thai coaches about – because they, they were an executive martial arts center. They're talking about office people, secretaries. They're, they're there for a workout. They're not there to fight. But now we're starting to get guys that are coming in to fight, you know. Um, so we hire a couple more Muay Thai coaches. I build a, a MMA group or an MMA team. I built Bangkok's first, like, fully functional MMA team. I had the most winning jiu-jitsu team in the country for, for a time. Um, and you're what belt? I was a brown belt at the time. A brown belt. Okay, cool. Uh and, you know, gym politics happen. People have falling outs. Not with me and Nitty, just with shit. And I'm like, yo, if if I'm not going to be appreciated for what I've done, like, bro, I was I was printed up in, in the newspaper. Like, there were features of me coaching amateur MMA in the fucking Bangkok Post. Like... Was there a lot of pushback at the time? I mean, just because... So... Like jujitsu is a, it's, you're lying, but between another man's legs, why don't no, you stand up and never. fight like a, like a real man? No. So, uh, there was some shit about MMA, 
taking away the esteem of Muay Thai as the national sport of Thailand. There was no issue with jujitsu. Jujitsu was reserved for wealthy people. Ah, Muay Thai okay. is for poor people. Yeah, because so you send your fucking kid there to become a, a, a fighting slave, basically, to send money home. You very well could. To the like, parents, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There, there were some documentaries done about, like, gyms taking on young girls because the parents didn't want to send them to the go-go bars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's how female fighters started growing. Um, like, I had, a, I had a guy who was a lawyer. He was a taekwondo black belt, and he wanted to fight. And I was telling him, I was like, bro, you got to train Muay Thai, man. Like, you're not striking. You have to train Muay Thai. And he goes do I look poor to you? And I was like, no. And he goes, then why would you ever assume I would train Muay Thai? And I'm like, cause it's functional and you want to fight. And he's like, I'll never do it. Like poor people. Damn, so is, is, so even, and this is like what year? 2011. I think I moved there full time. Wow. So even only 11 years ago, Muay Thai still viewed, like a caste system. Kind yeah, of thing. like that's crazy. So, it, so it it's depends. like literally like it's still the fucking national fight sport. peasants, right? Like it's still super revered. But like I guess if you're a one percenter, it's a no no. But with the popularity return of Muay Thai and the sure. popularity growth of MMA, the the upper class has starting to fall into it. But in it, they're not training in these outdoor gyms where they're producing fucking <laughs> monsters. Yeah, yeah. They're training in boutique Muay Thai gyms. Right, right, right. Like the, the UFC gyms here, right? Like, I guess, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I cut that part out. Like, <laughs> here, train different. Um, but uh, so, how long were you in Thailand? Three and a half years, almost. Awesome. And and at this point, you are a premier MMA coach there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Right? Like, I think at the time, I was like the third highest ranked jujitsu belt in the country. And how many and fights had you had at that point? I was already retired. I was 31. No, no, no. Yeah, 31. Um, so my record online is four and one. My record in total is six and two. Okay. Are you lending the <clears throat> sort of like building the community and, and kind of helping the, the tie put the pieces together at that point too? Yeah, I was, I was doing my very best. So luckily, because of my trip in Thailand in, into Tiger, I had a bunch of friends. And when they would come to Bangkok, they would come to me, you know. And I got to meet a lot of the video guys. And one of the guys was like, I want to get out of Phuket. So I hired him at my gym. So we started producing social media there and doing all this other stuff. So just trying to grow the game. I think the biggest thing I did was do my very best to learn Thai. Because a lot of my students did not speak English. So I'm, I'm speaking in very rudimentary Thai, you know, you know, kind of stuff. And so though I could get the, the basics across, I wasn't a very great conversationalist, but it was good enough. And that super helped because a lot of the time you're getting locals that are, and they're just seeing Westerners that are Westerners outside of the West, you know, like I had, I had Westerners actively tell me, don't bother learning Thai. They don't expect you to know it. They don't want you to know it because they can't talk about you behind your back. So don't bother. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know about you guys. Like, I, I don't know. When I got off the plane on my first trip to Thailand and that fucking thick, humid air hit me, I was just like, I'm going to live here. I just fucking Hang on, knew You're it. from Florida, though. So I'm, like, and this yeah. is worse than Florida. Yeah. Double. Double. Easy. Oh. So 
as an example, like when I first got to Phuket, we're outside, I'm hitting pads, and the air was so humid, I would have to spit out water. Oh my God. <laughs> That's crazy. So you, that time, what, you know, I, I myself was lucky enough to spend some time abroad, live abroad. It was some of the most special years of my life. I feel like anybody that goes abroad and, and, and does so beyond that of just being a traveler and you actually integrate into the community, mm-hmm. it's a very meaningful time and, and it's, it's a time of a lot of growth. What, what was the motivator to, to turn the page on that chapter of your life and bring it back to the United States or potentially Germany? Uh, you know, so, I don't know exactly where the timeline is. Um, I went to Colorado first. So are you familiar with Mark Fiore? I'm not. Are you? Chris? That sounds familiar. Mark Fiore was at one point uh, the Olympic freestyle wrestling coach for America. He was at Militage Fighting Systems. He coached Robbie yes. Lawler, Matt, Hugh- or Matt Hughes uh, back in the day. Um, before I moved to Thailand, I actually postponed moving to Thailand for like a month or two to stay with Brian Ebersol and help him get ready for a UFC fight. Uh, we had met at Tiger Muay Thai in 2009. He took my seminar. His first three weeks were my last three weeks. We trained together every day. We became buddies. And he goes, hey, I'm in this weird situation where I can't do my normal, you know, Ronin traveling camp. I have to do it here. Can you come here and help me through camp? So I moved into his house and I kind of helped run his camp with him uh, to get ready for that fight. So, hold on, this connected. Oh, when I was with him... We went to Mark Fiore's gym in Springfield, Indiana, and met the Fiore MMA team. And some of his job, James Brum, uh, Cage Warriors fame. I know he got a, a couple high end opportunities. Uh, I met him and some of the other guys, and we all clicked. And he liked how I taught jujitsu. Like, not to toot my own horn, Mark Fiore says, I'm the best jujitsu coach he's ever met. Yay, me, right? Um, so I'm spending this time in Thailand and I'm having a real hard time with gym politics because I'm not a black belt. Things are expected of me that like my, my accolades are supposed to go to other people. And I'm not down with that. I busted my ass to build what I build and I'm not willing to give someone else the credit for it just because they're a higher rank than me. They're not my coach. They're not my professor. I'm not going to turn up belly and work for you. Like you don't pay me kind of thing. So I get this call from Fiore. He had this big investor, has a gym out in Colorado Springs. I always wanted to go to Colorado. I always thought Colorado was cool. I liked the area. I heard the people were real chill. So as things came to a head, I was like, fuck it, man. Let's go to Colorado. And I flew back and I moved to Colorado for about a year. Uh, What was the gym called? It was called Altitude MMA. So it was owned by this guy going from sub sub uh, sub sea level to (laughs) like I remember I remember like grocery shopping in Walmart and like having to sit down on the floor in the aisles just to like breathe (laughs) for a minute like my first month or two it was it was 7,000 feet above sea level it was it was awesome I loved it Um, so I was there only a couple weeks and Fiore tells me he's going in for his like ninth neck surgery and he's retiring so he pretty much brought me there just to take his program you know which was cool i appreciate the faith but like it it wasn't set up so i'm there like four months 
we, my fight team shows up to the gym and it's being emptied out. Hmm. And we're like, what the fuck's going on? The landlord's like, basically says the owner, this guy, Zach, hasn't paid rent in forever, was taking advantage of the fact they were family friends, owed $42,000 in rent. Whoa. And so she was like, so I, I told him like, yo, I'm going to lock you out. I'm going I'm to lock you out. And so he cleared it out pretty much overnight. You know, uh, one of the other black belts and myself were like, why didn't you sell it to us? Like we could have, you pay your debt. We buy the gym. We take over your lease. We start a new and we pay you off as time goes on. It was a popular, successful gym, but this guy just cut, cut and run. Um, I sit out there. I try to make something happen for a couple months. You know, one of those, if I knew then what I knew now kind of situations. Um, and I got a call from Dean Thomas. Dean Thomas was coaching in, in Frankfurt, Germany at MMA spirit. And he goes, yo, I gotta, I gotta come home for a couple months. Do you want to coach here? And it was a good deal. It was like three grand a month for 15 hours a week. Like, and in an apartment. I was like, fuck yeah, you can't, you can't hate on that. I got nothing else to do. I'm single. Fuck it. Let's travel the world. Right? So I went to Germany after that. Stayed there for a couple months. Came home. And you're running an MMA program there or a, a jiu-jitsu program? Or, so uh, or... Muhammad Awali, who was one of the striking coaches at headquarters for a while, was their head striking coach and head MMA coach. I was a supplemental coach. I was yeah. a, a brown belt teaching jiu-jitsu. Pretty uh, sweet gig as a brown belt to go teach jiu-jitsu as a supplemental coach, man. Like, yeah. like I, I have a good reputation. Like I was a brown belt. But like I had good names and good people who vouched for me as going, he's only a brown belt because he hasn't been to his home gym in five years because he's been training and yeah, coaching. That was, that was my next question is like, who's sort of like overseeing your, you know, quote, so, overseeing your jujitsu development throughout all of these, these journeys? Me. <laughs> so honestly, like I met a blue belt in, in Bangkok named Ozon. And he was the biggest jujitsu muse I ever had in my life. He had a job that just allowed him to do jujitsu stuff all day, whether it's watching videos, instructionals, or training. And he was my closest friend. And so I just lived jujitsu stuff 24 hours a day. And he was more creative than me. And he was more into research than me. And he would show me shit that he found and saw and thought about. And it got me really, 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 really interested in, in developing more and more. And so, yeah, like in that period of time, my great inspiration was this Turkish blue belt kid who that I would eat Thai food with. That's you awesome, know, I, I had I had years where where I didn't even talk to my coach. What um, how many years between all your different belts? So. I can't tell the story of getting my brown belt without sounding like like I'm hating on somebody, even though I'm not. Um, I got I turned down a brown belt four times from a guy who I'm very fond of. He's a great guy. I worked for him. You don't have to say his name. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he came to me and goes, hey, Laborio told me to give you your brown belt. And I'm like, well, if he said so, because I'd already turned it down. He's like, you work for me. You're in my gym X amount of nights a week. He said I should do it. So I said, cool. I got my brown belt and I go, well, I'm not going to do any MMA for the next six months. I'm only going to train in the gi. Because if you're going to be a brown belt, you should be in the fucking gi. You know? 
And I remember I showed up to headquarters and Laborio goes, hey, you got a brown belt. And I'm like, what do you mean, hey, you got a brown belt? <laughs> this was your idea. And he goes, I mean, I was going to give it to you soon anyway, so it's fine. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not Ooh. fine. This is not fine at all. And I'm sure he took it as an insult. You know, um, five years later, I get my black belt. And when he gives it to me, he leans in close and he goes, I made you wait on purpose. And then laughed. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're settled now. Um, so what happened was got your- I, got, I got back from Germany. I'd saved up a bunch of money because, again, Germany paid very well. And the amount of money I saved from three months working in Germany was a year of living in Thailand. What the fuck? It's 10,000 bucks. Awesome. It's not that That's bad. Awesome. Not the case at the moment. It's much more expensive now, but well, not much more. It's still cheap in comparison. But mm-hmm. my plan was like, I'm hot shit. My name carries weight in Thailand and in Southeast sure. Asia. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Southeast Asia where I'm a name versus just another fucking guy. You know what I mean? Um, I was approached by one of my old coaches and a training partner of mine about opening a gym in Northern Palm Beach. And I was like, eh, I I loved living in Asia, man. I fucking loved it. To this day, if I was not married with a baby, I would think about going back to Asia. I loved living in Thailand so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we went around Jupiter. We were looking at like the, the business stuff. And I was like, if we can get a lease before June 1st, which was like three months, I was like, I'll stay and I'll open up this gym with you guys. And we got a lease three days before June. So we got a lease on May 28th or 27th. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. And we started the gym and so, now I'm based in Florida. So what, um, as we start to wind this thing down, what uh, what do what do you see? Because obviously things have been a little wonky the last few years with yeah with COVID related stuff. But what um, what are you looking forward to now? And and what is on your horizon for what's next? Man, I'm just really enjoying the process of like building talent. I I have a very strong moral compass, and I have a very strong sense of how I do business in terms of my fighters and, and how I bring them up. Like my goal is that I can take the guys that dedicated their life and their careers to me, just as I've dedicated my coaching career to them and help them that when they get to the point that they either want to be coaches or they are done fighting and they want to transition to the next part that I can, I can help them do that. So, and, and Hey, maybe I'll, I'll have my string of affiliate gyms based on my black belts and the guys that I've produced, you know, that that's my big goal, but really I like taking, I get a lot of young men that lack direction and, and I help them find some form of direction in their life. Even if it's only for a short period of time, like some people just come into your life to learn a single lesson. And if I can, and if somehow I help with help, maybe I've had guys I've helped get sober, 
lose weight, find some a, a way to dedicate their life to something, get themselves out of a funk. Simple as getting over a breakup or then you get into the, I'm a competitor and I want to compete and I want to, I want to go somewhere and I want to make my name mean something like the whole gamut of it. Like I am a avenue to, to self-discovery success and personal growth, hopefully. And if, if that can turn into you, like these guys keeping the, the martial path and taking the lessons that they've learned, whether from me or from life or from the journey and turn it on to the next generation of kids, competitors, students, and fighters, all the better. You know what I mean? So, I, I, so what's uh, given all that? Then what's uh, what's a good day for you when you when you when you sit when you like look at yourself in the mirror, you know, and you're about to go to bed, or your your head hits the pillow? What for you is like that was a damn good day. Like re- recently, what's what's really been like kind of making my heart feel good is watching these like five and six year olds that come in like hungry to to go hard, dude, to like train. I got a handful, <laughs> bro. I got a handful of kids. Like I don't know what it is. I I'm not the best kids coach in the world because I came up coaching fighters. Those were the guys I coached in the beginning, and I realized how much parents want you to be mean to their kids. <laughs> like they want you to be mean to their kids, not in like an asshole way, but in like, like I demand, I demand things from them. Like you're in this room. I'm teaching you how to kill people. You have to have a level of decorum and self-control and respect. And it's something as simple as standing still for 10 seconds. And then when you go, guys, it's, it's, it's time to go live. And you just see like, let's go. Like, that shit's the best. Like, the I have kids that are like they, they just hit switches on each other, like in succession, like sit out to back take, sit out back take, sit out back take, switch to the back, switch to the back, take the hooks, roll, roll, roll. And I, I don't even I don't even remember showing you half this stuff. What is going on? And they're like, do we get to compete or do we just do this here? You can compete. We can compete. How do we compete? And like that like bright-eyed like thing. From anyone, just like, ah, like let's fucking go, dude. That, I that, guess that, living that, vicariously that. through the youth of tomorrow. That's okay. So on that note, um, how are you going to approach that with uh, your child? Uh, I'm I'm very happy that my wife is is very on board with our daughter training. Um, the path I plan to take is to put her in gymnastics first, probably till like she's only two. So probably start at three or four and put her in until she's six, just for core stability, mm. core strength, body composition, body control, because it did well for me. I did gymnastics as a kid and 20 years later I started and I still had a lot of it. You know what I mean? Um, my wife is adamant that our daughter trains at least twice a week, period. And, and for real reasons, she's like, the world is a disgusting place. Men as a whole in this newer generation with your whole incel simping thing are, are progressively more passive aggressively disgusting. It, 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 that whole like simpy incel has a real rapey vibe to it. And the numbers are climbing. And my wife is very adamant that my daughter never be victimized if there's anything she can do about it. And so whether she wants to compete or not is inconsequential. 
What's important is that she learns, you know, one, drive, two, determination, three, resolve, stick-to-itiveness, a strong work ethic. But most importantly, all that should come to culmination if in the unfortunate instance that someone wants to fuck around and find out. You know what I mean? We're, um, so you just mentioned some very strong values when it comes to martial arts, right? Um, Jiu-jitsu in general is not known nowadays as a traditional martial art. Where did you distill those? Me? Honestly, like, I, I was, again, I was raised in a hyper-religious community um, with very strict rules. Rules that I don't adhere to, but I do have a very strong moral compass. You know, I have, I have no deviation in understanding between right and wrong. I am very aware um, I, I, as an individual, don't really believe in regret of conscious decisions. You're going to regret something you didn't have control over and kind of took over on things. But like, I, I, I don't have any regret of anything I've done because I've never shied away from my moral compass. You know, whatever I've done, I've done. And, and I will say the vast majority of my life experiences have been uplifting, positive and, and helpful. You know what I mean? And I don't know where that necessarily developed outside of seeing people and things happen and going, not me. Like, I, I just saw a bunch of shit that I didn't like. And I was like, that will never be me. And I wouldn't say lucky, but I've been stubborn enough to stick to it. Like, as an example, I do not charge for belts, promotions, and certificates. Your rank is earned with blood, sweat, and effort, period. You know, if we're being, if we're being inexpensive, just to make math easy, you pay a hundred dollars a month to train, right? Which means you pay $1,200 a year, which means if you're getting a blue belt, you're probably spending $2,400 just on dues. That belt costs me $7 and 50 cents. Your certificate costs me 70 cents. Am I, am I going to charge you $50 to test? $50 to promote and $30 for a fucking piece of tinsel paper. Not a chance in hell. That's my moral compass. That's my moral standard. I'm, I'm disgusted by the entire business model that, that does that shit. And I understand I'm leaving a fuck ton of money on the table, but I will never deviate because it's, it's wrong. And that just, that, that just comes from seeing it. You know, I paid for one belt and I was like, no, never again. And, and so my own mentors disagree with me and that's fine because it's not their money. It's my money and I'll take the hit. How many black belts have you awarded at this point? Well, uh, so, so I, I got awarded mine in 2019, was it? Mm-hmm. I have to look. I, I don't even remember. And you, you're what degree at this point? Uh, I'll get my third stripe next December, 2023. Nice, nice. So and what's your highest years. rank right now that you have um, awarded up to? I have a purple belt who will get a brown later this year. Awesome, good for them. Yeah. Uh, how long have they been with you? Four years now. When I got so when I got this guy, his name's Sham Delva. He's he's one of my fighters. He's actually the guy who coaches my Friday night classes. He's an undefeated MMA fighter. He's a strong purple belt. 
Um, what I, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize he did a one week trial at my gym as a four stripe blue belt, took one week of my classes and cut his stripes off because he knew he wouldn't match up to my like grading, I guess. Never told me, never told me. I found out after I gave him a purple belt. Like one of the other guys told me, he's like, you know, Sham was a four stripe blue belt when he came here. I was like, no, because I gave him stripes on his blue. And then I was like, yo, he goes, yeah, I, I, I trained with your white belts. And I was like, I'm not a almost purple belt here. And I was like, okay, that's a man's decision, you know? So what, um, what are your plans for this year in terms of, you know, what you're looking forward to? We talked about, you know, kind of what your focus is in a way, what makes you happy on a daily basis, watching those kids just attack jujitsu with such ferocity. So cool. So cool. What, um, do you have any plans for the upcoming year for yourself personally or for your, for your, uh, for your school? Um, me personally, I'd like to buy a house, but the market is absolutely retarded. So probably not. Probably wait on that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) for the school, you know, I, I want to just want to keep on a steady path. Uh, I have a lot of young fighters, guys, you know, smoker level, ready to make some debuts, a couple guys with two or three amateur fights. And then I got a small handful of guys that are at the end of their amateur career, ready to go pro. So I'm really hype on, on, you know, going along that path. Like, uh, last, the last, yeah, sorry, pretty much up until mid last year, I had a large group of guys that were really into competing jujitsu. And late last year, that shifted into guys wanting to fight. So now I got like 13 guys that want to fight and, and they act the part. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm looking forward to getting my low-level guys into smokers, my smokers into amateurs, my amateurs into you know a, a more founded base in their career, and the handful of guys I have you know with their 10-ish amateur fights to go pro. And what uh, yeah. what percentage of your student base right now are because I've always in my experience now you know the the sort of general saying is out of you know a hundred people that walk into a gym ten want to compete yeah out of those ten one really wants to be a serious competitor you know are yeah. because you're in South Florida where it's sort of a hotbed of jujitsu yeah. MMA just just that right. Is are, are there a higher percentage of folks who are walking in who really genuinely want to compete, or do you have a lot of recreational students? And I, how I, do you find that balance as a like, coach? Like with every school, the recreational student is what gets the bills paid. Uh, your fighters are a negative to your cash flow. Yes. That is one hundred percent energy. Project. Say again. And your time and your energy, right? A like, thousand percent. I just look at it like this. I have a young daughter and it with a weird living situation, you know, so I only get to see my wife and child really on weekends. So anytime one of these guys fights, not only do I have to cover classes for three days, fly somewhere, drive somewhere, stay in a hotel, pay for food for two, three, four days. I'm also missing the, the, the 50 hours a week that I get to see my wife and kid. So the price is high. Very high. Very, uh, I mean, like it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's invaluable, right? Like it's right. So like, luckily my wife is very understanding. And also I was doing this before we got married. So she knew what she was getting into. Yep. Yep. Um, That's a big part of it. Yeah. And 
so it it's it's in a way it's got to be worth it. if it wasn't worth it for me to miss those moments i wouldn't be doing it you know so these these competitors that are in there like obviously you're going to have say 20 competitors that talk the talk you're going to have 8 to 10 that walk the walk you know what i mean and chances are only 5 of those are really walking that walk full time right and everyone like they can lie to themselves and be like, I'm dedicating full time. It's like, dog, you're here three times a week. You just run your mouth versus the guy who's what I noticed is the guy who shows up twice a week is the one asking, Hey coach, can you hold pads for me? Hey coach, you watching me spar? And the kid that shows up six days a week doesn't ask for shit. Yeah. You, you, you make him leave the gym. You're asking him to leave yeah, the gym, like, right? Like, dude, you need to go home. Like one of, one of my young amateurs, he just had his first fight. He's mid Ramadan. He's not eating until 8 p.m. And he's in the 6 o'clock class and the first half of the 7 o'clock class before he leaves and goes home for iftar. And then he comes back at 8.30 for the last half hour of the last class. Jesus. That's my guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he gets it. And he can have whatever he – you need time for me? You want me to hold pads for you late? I'm here, bro. And he never asks. You know what I mean? Like, that's – where are we driving to? Where are we going? I'm in. No questions asked. You know what I mean? That's tremendous. Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely tremendous. Um, ben, if people want to find you, how's the best way for them to reach out? Easiest way is through our website, attpbg.com. That's American Top Team Palm Beach Gardens. Just abbreviate it. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, there's a form you can fill out. It'll pop up on screen. Give me your name, phone number, email. I'll reach out to you if it's a normal time within 15, 20 minutes. If we're in class or it's nighttime, I'll reach out to you the next day. If you want to contact me directly, you can follow me on Instagram, Coach Ben Stark, HJJ, or the gym. Again, ATT, PBG. We have very active social media, uh, both in terms of interaction and posting. Uh, we got a lot of good shit up there, so check it out. Our YouTubes are pretty hot as well, but to be honest, I don't post nearly as much as I do on Instagram. So if you want the up-to-date, yeah, super-duper stuff, get on the IG. It's just easier. Um, yeah, dude, I'm I'm chill. I'm happy to meet people. If you're on, if you're a BJJ Globetrotters person, I'm I'm on their site. Come through, train with us. Uh, if you're cool, we're cool. That's absolutely yeah. awesome, and and I can vouch for that program. Um, anyone out there that likes to um, travel around and bring their geese with them or no geese stuff, uh, there, there's a huge um, just plethora of schools that open their doors to these guys, and, and you guys are one of them, and I applaud you for that. That's awesome. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure. Your, uh, your story is fascinating and highly entertaining you have Dude, some yeah, guests you're that... my spirit animal man. like i'm living even though i'm older than you you have some... living vicariously through you so <laughs> you always Bro. have some guests where you gotta you gotta um you gotta ask them you gotta you gotta have a bunch of questions but but um you know you tell a compelling story and i can't wait to see uh what the next two years hold for you because i think you're doing a lot of great we'll stuff do our so. uh our, our field trip down there. Our field point. trip, yeah. exactly. Yeah. When we tell Cora, I have to stop by and say, I come so up ben, and visit uh, Jason Patino and Laborio. What? Get over here. We're 20 yeah. minutes away. Yeah, perfect. Right. Perfect. Hey, I've got a fuckload of more crazier stories. If you, I got at least five more shows in me. Then the real question is, when can you be on again? We will call this part one then. Ben, it's <laughs> been an so absolute much. pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Dude, it's been awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys.